This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Health Canada has derailed a long-fought effort to establish a framework for orphan drugs. Last month, the agency, without warning, removed from its website all documents relating to the effort. The agency says it's conducting a broader review of regulations and will now seek to address the aims of the orphan drug framework through other means. The decision is a blow to rare disease advocates in Canada who view the move as a response to provincial governments who feared an orphan drug designation would be a license to charge high prices for medications. We spoke to Derhane Wang Rieger president and CEO of the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders, about Health Canada's unexpected decision. Why an orphan drug framework is seen as critical to making needed therapies available in Canada, and what it means for the rare patient community there. Derhane, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having us. We're going to talk about rare diseases in Canada, your long-fought effort for a regulatory framework for orphan drugs there, and how Health Canada recently upended those efforts. I thought we could begin by setting the stage, though, with a, a bit for people who may be unfamiliar with the rare disease landscape in Canada. How big a population of people are there with rare diseases? Well, we estimate there are probably close to 3 million people in Canada that are directly living with a rare disease, so somewhere between 2.8 and 3 million. Um, so it's a, it's a sizable population. And how does Canada approach to rare diseases therapies differ from what we see in the United States and Europe and, and other developed nations? We oftentimes characterize Canada as the only developed country that does not have a specific orphan drug policy does not actually have any form of legislation that supports the research and development um, treatments for uh, patients with rare diseases. And it's a tragedy because we have an amazing healthcare system. It's just that patients with rare diseases are being treated, you know, pretty much as uh, patients with much more common conditions. I, I know you've been working now for for what must be about 10 years to have Canada develop and implement an orphan drug framework. Until recently, the Health Canada website had indicated the framework would be resolved by the end of this year, but without any fanfare announcement, Health Canada struck all the documents relating to the orphan drug framework last month from its website. How did you first become aware of this? We got aware of the fact that it had totally disappeared from the Health Canada website uh, from a reporter, actually, um, who called me to ask the same questions that you're kind of asking, like, oh, my gosh, how do you respond to this? 
I'm not saying that we were totally surprised by the fact that uh, this could have happened. And certainly we were not unaware of the political malaise and uh, with regard to rare diseases in Canada. Um, it is, as you say, we at the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders have been working for a good 10 years to try to bring this issue to the attention of both the political um, bodies as well as the bureaucracy. Um, many people may not know is that in 1996, Health Canada put out a, a statement that said Canada does not need an orphan drug policy. The U.S. has an orphan drug policy. They're developing drugs for everybody, and frankly, we can bring those drugs into Canada under existing uh, legislation. Um, and so that was kind of the position since 96. We very strongly, beginning about 2006, 2007, strongly began to challenge what they were doing. And one of the things we were able to prove to them, just by counting all the drugs that were available for rare diseases in the U.S. or in Europe, and demonstrating in Canada we had about half of those drugs brought in. So we recognized that, you know, we were not actually getting those drugs into Canada and not getting them approved. And the response to it actually was like, oh, my gosh, we did not realize that we were doing so badly. Began to work with us to put together some form of our regulations, regulatory framework, as it was called eventually, actually had consultations beginning in about 2010, 2012. Um, 2012, the ministry actually announced that we we're on the path to do this. 2014, fully developed regulatory framework, which we were being told could be, you know, implemented, you know, put into uh, legislation, well, into regulation, um, you know, it's fully ready to go, and um, it just kept getting delayed and kept getting delayed. Um, there were lots of reasons that we were understanding as to what the, some of the barriers were, but we kept being assured that we were going to be moving forward well, until the court. What would the orphan drug framework have done? Well, the orphan drug framework was actually a beautiful piece because it really allowed Canada in harmony with the U.S. and with the EMA. So we borrowed from what uh, the U.S. has done, we borrowed very strongly from what the EMA has done, and quite frankly, it was done in such a way that right now companies may apply to uh, the U.S. and to Europe at the same time for orphan designation, get support in terms of developing clinical trial guidances, etc., and, and actually have very parallel processes for application. It would allow Canada to be part of that uh, consortium. And we had had assurances from both the EMA and from the US FDA that if we could put your framework in line, we would allow, you know, that to, to actually move forward simultaneously. And companies were being told that, you know, you could have one application package that could be used across all the jurisdictions. It's a huge difference to us because, quite frankly, if a company has to develop a whole package just for Canada, what they were doing is that they were waiting then until they'd gotten it all the way through in the US or, or in Europe before they came to Canada. So it would have put us in terms of getting access to early clinical trials, getting the expertise into Canada, and allowing at the end of the day, of course, that patients could get access to these therapies at about the same time as they were in in, um, in Europe or in the U.S. And now, um, what we understand is technically it is possible to do it, but there's no pathway. Researchers don't know this. Companies don't know this. So, you know, they're not aware of how they can do it. And quite frankly, it is putting us into a position where we are today, and that is we were six months to four years delayed in getting access to therapy, even if they come, and in many cases, they're still not coming. Uh, I spoke to Health Canada, and Health Canada said it, it's doing a broader review of the regulatory approach to drugs and devices, and thinks that it can accomplish 
what it was seeking to do with the orphan drug framework through other regulations. Does this make any sense? No, quite frankly, it makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, yes, we recognize that once a drug comes here, it can get the expedited review and get the special attention in terms of small clinical trials, small patient populations. Health Canada does as good a job as anybody in terms of actually approving these drugs and what we're seeing in terms of approvals and indications, both in terms of timeliness and in terms of the quality of reviews, are really excellent. The problem is that we do not have companies that know what the process is. And we do not have actually the opportunity to have those trials in early. And researchers in Canada that are actually developing treatments, and we support, you know, research programs here, once they get a drug to the point where it actually can be a, a useful molecule for clinical trials, the companies pick up and move to, to the U.S. or they move to Europe. So we're losing the opportunity actually to have that expertise remain in Canada and to benefit from the research program. So... And quite frankly, if you're saying, yes, it can all be done, then quite frankly, let's then make it clear how it's being done. And I think what's happening then is that um, downstream, it means that we have no special designation for these products. We do not get the special recognition in terms of um, uh, health technology assessment reviews, in terms of reimbursement, that these drugs really do serve a very different population, and these are small populations, et cetera. So, Downstream, we actually lose a lot in terms of the kinds of support that we would need to make sure that these drugs are actually made available to the patients in a timely fashion. You you talked on some numbers. I want to go back to that. Health Canada said to me that 13 of the 38 new drugs that approved in 2016 were for orphan indication. That was meant to suggest that there's no problem getting orphan drugs approved in Canada. Your numbers would, would argue otherwise? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I actually stood up in the meeting and challenged the deputy minister with this. And basically, in the U.S., we know that last year they approved 38 uh, orphan drugs. The year before that, they approved 48 orphan drugs. The EMA approved at least 28 last year. So, quite frankly, to our point, Canada's getting less than half of the drugs that are available to other patient populations. And even those drugs that are being approved, in many cases, are not being approved until after they're already available in the U.S. or in Europe. So, I mean, to our point, this is not good enough. This is not what we would hope to have in a country where we've got such excellent health care, and we actually do have, I think, the capacity to actually make these available to the patient. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, 13 out of 38, that's, that's almost laughable. And why the gap? Are, are drug makers just not pursuing this market, or are there regulatory barriers in Canada that don't exist elsewhere? In part, it's the uh, researchers' companies are not pursuing Canada. They don't see Canada. I mean, in many cases, as they tell us, they have to make a special application for the package together. They don't think about Canada early on because it's not even offering orphan designation. So, yes, I think there are challenges. We also have huge reimbursement challenges, and I think that's daunting. So you say to a company, come to Canada, but by the way, we don't have orphan designation. We cannot provide you with the same kind of exclusivity as you can elsewhere. And by the way, we have huge barriers in terms of getting to public reimbursement. Um, yeah, companies basically say, okay, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll consider it. I have companies that actually call me up and say, okay, we've got U.S. approval, we've got uh, EMA approval. Now we're looking at Japan, we're looking at Switzerland, we're looking at Australia. Can you tell me why we should come to Canada first? And I have to make a case for it. You know, we have patients here. We can help you. We can get it through the process. Uh, you know, but it, that's the, the mentality, right? And you can't blame companies. 
Health Canada has told me that it continues to work with stakeholders, including the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders. What discussions did Health Canada have with the organization leading up to this decision to shift gears on its approach, and, and what has the conversation been since, if any? We do know that many of the barriers are actually political. Health Canada actually has been a good partner to us in terms of helping us work through how these drugs are approved. But quite frankly, it is far short of what um, happens in the U.S. I just came back from a one-day session uh, that the FDA hosted a public workshop for rare diseases, and oh my gosh, the way they go about assuring that patient groups understand how the process works, supporting patient groups so they can bring their disease awareness to the FDA, the kinds of protocols and mechanisms and people they have that can support uh, researchers, but especially patient groups to be able to bring uh, the drugs and the diseases. I mean, it, it, to me, it, it, it's a world of difference. And really, it was almost a, a stark contrast between kind of what happens both in Canada and going down and hearing the FDA say, really, we want to make sure that patients with rare diseases who don't have therapies or have unmet needs, that we're doing everything we can to help, you know, develop those drugs and expedite the years, right, and include patients in that whole process. Um, honestly, it was it, it was um, it, it, an understanding of what could be and, and really a difference from what, what actually is. That's understood. They work with us. And they're very, you know, I think supportive when the drug comes. Um, and we know that in some cases they want to chase some of the companies who have drugs here or are under SAP, but um, you know, that shouldn't be the case. I mean, I'll give you an, an amazing example we're struggling with right now. I was just on three teleconferences this morning, including with the patient groups, including with the manufacturers around this, including with Health Canada itself. We have a, a drug that's coming in, been approved. The old drug is actually one that's never been approved in Canada because it's being used widely in the rest of the world. Um, it's brought in under a special access, emergency access program. It's been available for like 20 some years in Canada as quote under emergency access because we don't have a pipe, a, a pathway that would allow a company that actually has this drug to actually just get it approved in Canada easily without going back and using a whole lot of it, you know, costing a whole lot. So it's never been approved. Now we do have an approved product that was just approved and what we just learned is that they're taking the old product off. They're saying that because we have an approved product, we are not going to allow them patients and families to actually get access to the old product. There'll be a new product that's been brought in does not yet have a funding process. And some of the patients are not comfortable with it because they're used to the old product and they're not yet convinced of the long-term evidence, whatever. And, and suddenly, they're all going to denial. So they're, they're caught, you know, right now because we did not have a pathway that allowed the old drugs to easily get approved. We've now gotten approval for a drug that hasn't actually got a funding pathway, and maybe two years before we get a pathway. And this is a drug that these patients need to have every single day in order to actually um, prevent uh, organ damage. So what do you say to families? I mean, this is kind of what where we're caught, right? We're caught in this horrible process where our regulations are out of step with everybody else in the world. And it puts patients and families at tremendous risk. There is some politics underlying all this. You've suggested that what may be at play here is pressure from the provincial governments. I'm wondering if you can explain that to folks who may not be well versed with Canadian politics. Sure. So we have, as um, we have a national healthcare uh, system, which is quite good. We have a federal regulator that approves, like the FDA does, on the basis of benefits from this, and then we have a reimbursement program 
in Canada, drugs are not included under um, the um, Health Canada Act. So um, many patients actually have private drug plans, about 70% do. And then we do have public plans for seniors and um, for people that uh, whose drug costs are, they are, are quite excessive, et cetera. So these are problems by province basis in which uh, this, these drug plans are they're quite different uh, across the different provinces. The approval processes may differ in terms of how long it takes to get a drug on. Typically, um, there are about twice as many drugs in the private plan as there will be on the public plan. So part of the problem, I think, as everybody realizes, that many of these drugs for rare diseases can be quite individually expensive. And we have heard, and we don't necessarily, you know, disbelieve that the provinces have put some pressures off to say we don't really want to have more orphan drugs coming in. One, they believe that an orphan designation automatically gives companies a license to charge more. Um, you know, I don't know that there's any proof to that based on the actual just the designation. And so that's a big concern. So they don't like the orphan designation in and of itself. And two, I think in some cases they'd be just as happy not to have these drugs coming in in a timely fashion because it just allows them to not have to pay for them. And I say that crassly and I say that without disrespect to the people that are working in these plans, but I say that with the full knowledge that this is exactly what we see happening, the kinds of delays and the willingness to say, you know what, we, we don't really want to move too fast in terms of research. Well, where do you go from here? Is there hope of reviving the orphan drug framework, or is this now dead? And you know what? We never say dead, right? I, you know, I feel bad myself, but I felt like we had, you know, uh, hoisted the white flag of this prematurely and kind of said, okay, we can work with you. And we will when we want to. But I think we need to come back. We need to put the pressure on. We need to make it clear that there is a real difference between having, a, you know, regulations, legislation that designates organ drugs and specifically for rare diseases versus not. Yes, you may be able to do it, but not providing the special pathways in the way that other countries are doing it. Canadians that really way behind in terms of getting access, and, and we can't allow that to happen. So, you know, uh, in some respects, that little thing kind of was a, a, a bit of a, a, a warning shot for us to say, you know, don't get too complacent, don't kind of just ride along the way. You know, you really do have to, I think, raise the banner and continue to move, you know, move ahead uh, on behalf of the patient. So, no, I don't think we're quite ready to throw in the towel yet. Dirhane Wong Rieger, President and CEO of the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders. You're saying thanks as always. No, thank you so much. Really, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate having the opportunity to have this message here. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.